Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Dan was saying earlier you sound Canadian. Do I? Mm. Yeah, you say a boot sometimes. Yeah, like it's, I don't know, yeah. that sort of thing. <laughs> I thought you were Canadian when I first No, I'm yeah. not yeah. Canadian. I just had to go there a bunch. Yeah, he's from Minnesota. Kid. I'm from Minnesota, yeah. <laughs> Aren't you being, being paying attention? Yeah. <laughs> well, joining me on today's One Football Podcast is Dan Burke. Word. <laughs> Daniel Cadena Jordan. Hey, how are you? That's that uh, Man City what? confidence, I guess. Oh, yeah. Without that comedy intro. <laughs> uh, the usual email to get in touch is podcast at onefootball.com. Get all your questions in there, or you can get onto iTunes, give the pod a rating, and leave a comment to let us know how you think we're doing. Well, the transfer window has slammed shut. I don't know why we say slam shut, but we do, and I'm not about to challenge, challenge the accepted vernacular anytime soon. And it's slam shut with some interesting deals. Where, uh, I'll, I'll go through a few of them and then we can we can kind of come back and have a chat about them. Obman Yang got his way, enjoyed Arsenal, costing the club 63.75 million. Daniel Surridge is now a West Brom player. This felt like the right fit, he said on Monday evening. Hmm. Like a shoe or so. Uh, Laporte has finally joined Manchester City, 65 million club record, as did Jack Harrison before leaving seconds later. Mesut Ozil has signed a new deal. Oh, that's still waiting to be 100% confirmed. Batshuayi has done one to Dortmund. Giroud has joined Chelsea and immediately brought the Arsenal trade of losing to sides that they should be beating. And Lucas Moura has joined Spurs. That, I would put to you gentlemen, is one of the more interesting transfer deadline days. Very much so, yeah. One of the more interesting transfer January transfer windows, I would say. Um, it's normally a bit of a damp squib, isn't it? The the January window, there's you know not much value in the market, as Sir Alex Ferguson used to say, and um, you just don't see many big deals going through. But you know, it seems like about you know a lifetime ago now. But Coutinho joined Barcelona earlier in the window as well, yeah. which was probably the biggest biggest deal of them all. So yeah, and Alexis very, very interesting as well. Alexis in the Mikatarin of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's plenty going on this winter, and it's been as you said, really weird uh, to see winter transfer with that with that many big transfer names linked to it. I mean, mm. usually get one tops two maybe uh, if a team is like performing really badly. And uh, the weird part is that most teams that have had the most reinforcements, maybe other than Dortmund, uh, have been kind of decent or performing up to what you expect of them. Mm. Chelsea, of course, are still you know running 15 points behind Man City and whatnot, but uh, they're still second in the league, which is not a bad thing to be in, uh, considering what Man City is capable of doing now at all. I Dan, I just want to point something out here. Dan is bigging it up today, but he was, I'd say by about 1pm yesterday, he was slightly bored of it all. A little bit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, again, I, I kind of I knew that the um, the sort of Arsenal, Chelsea, Dortmund menage a trois. I knew that would go through. Nice. And then um, and then after that, I, w- I didn't really expect anything. I told you City wouldn't sign Maras, and you didn't believe me. Well, so maybe we'll talk a little bit yeah. about that later. Menage a trois is one phrase I haven't heard <laughs> used for that deal, but it, I think it fits perfectly. We'll start off with the arguably the biggest player of all of that, which is Obeman Yang. He's going to wear the number 14. He's already said he wants to be Arsenal's new Thierry Henry. Okay. Is um, he going to be? I'm not sure, though. Uh, Thierry Henry had a lifetime to adjust to Arsenal. This guy is 28 already, 29. So, like, he is in his prime. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he's a good, he's a good purchase, but... Uh, Maybe a couple down the line, a couple of years down the line, that won't be so much the case. Uh, I mean, he's already at his best. He already seen him at his best, uh, which is frightening if you're facing the guy. But uh, two more years of that, I don't think is sustainable for Arsenal, no way, one way or another. So, uh, so you don't see you're sort of negative about this deal. Then I think it's a good deal. I don't think it's a 63 million euro worth deal. It's uh, I think Dortmund got the better end of the stick on this one, definitely. 
I think it's a great signing for them personally, but Arsenal's problem is was was never been as going forward. It's, it's defensively and, and the midfield that's the problem, and the manager is the problem as well. I think. So I think he's he's got some good players there, but um, until until Wenger leaves, I don't see Arsenal really progressing. It's interesting you mentioned the, the problems elsewhere because I'm wondering how Wenger is going to fit Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan, Özil, and Lacazette all into the same team. I don't think he will. I think he'll just rotate and hope for the best at some point. Because, uh, as you say, where do you fit all four up front? You can probably fit three out of four at best, but uh, someone has to sit. And uh, my guess would be Lacazette in this mm-hmm. point. Lacazette's going to be the one to pay for it? Maybe. Even though they spent so much on him in the summer? Yeah, they just spent a bunch on Aubameyang too. And they let uh, you know Suarez, Sanchez leave for, uh, for you-know-who, for Mkhitaryan. So, seriously doubt that uh, Gunners are going to have a hard time accepting that Lacazette is number two now. I think uh, I think he'll drop out. Yeah, I think he's been a bit of a disappointment, Lacazette, mm-hmm. or maybe not even a disappointment. Maybe a he's sort of that. no. He's he's just hit the level that everyone expected he would. Really, he's just not, he's just not that good, is he? Really, he's all right, Lacazette, but that's it. Özil will become the highest paid player at the club, taking in a reported four hundred thirty-five thousand per week. Jesus. That's two hundred thirty after tax, which is about what twenty-five million a year. I can't add that far. No, it's and I don't think my calculator goes that far either. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still a bunch, though. It's a big number. Yeah, you would have seen a lot of Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan together at Dortmund. Is that something that Arsenal fans should really get excited about? Definitely. I mean, those two guys when they click together, it's just amazing. It's a Ferrari running. It's uh, as good as it gets. Uh, it just—it's the sort of thing that. Why does it work so? But what's so? Why does it work so well? Just—it's very similar to what you would also have with Aubameyang and Royce in Dortmund at the same time. That is just really fast players with really good dribbling skills and a really lethal striker up front that just go together like a house on fire. So uh, I think uh, offensively they shouldn't be worried that much, uh, and definitely losing uh, Giroud and Sanchez in the progress. Um, it's the sort of thing that might keep Ars- might keep expectations a bit high at Arsenal, but uh, I think Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang as a duo will be more than plenty to uh, will do more than plenty to to live up to the par. Okay, speaking of Arsenal, Akash Gupta says love last week's podcast with Emily. Was missing the city fan though. I don't know who he's talking about no, with that. Probably you, but sounds like me. a dick. Yeah, <laughs> I've met a couple of city fans, especially the ones that work on this podcast. Yeah. Um, We've already. Yeah, he's wondering what we thought of the Obama Yang deal. We've already got that. But there is an interesting question: Can they win the league or even challenge for second place this season? Mm. You can't mean this season. Surely. You can't. No, mean, no I can't no. mean this season. No. Just in next. Well, let's go with next season because this season's a write-off. Um, well, again, like I said earlier, I think well Wenger's there. I don't see Arsenal hitting those heights. I don't even think they'll finish top four this season, even with the addition of those two players. Um, I think you know they were they were dreadful at Swansea the other night. It was embarrassing how bad they were, um, unacceptable. And yeah, I just think Wenger he should have gone a couple of years ago. Really, he's way past his sell by date now, and they need someone to just freshen things up at that club. So you're saying they can't win the league or even challenge for second? No, even Not, Champions League is pointing out. I think. Yeah, yeah, I, they'll finish fifth at best this season. I think. What an optimist, isn't he? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, any more optimism in you? To be honest, not really, because uh, I mean, Liverpool's playing quite solidly this season, as well as Chelsea, and then there's Man, Man United plus City, so that's four spots Arsenal's gonna have a hard time uh, bickering over. But uh, yeah, I think maybe fourth place if one of the of the top four slide, which doesn't seem very likely. Um, Next season, even looking ahead, 
it's a coach thing in the end. Uh, I mean, the guy, as Dan says as well, I couldn't agree more. I mean, Benga is way past his prime as a coach and uh, definitely in that cycle in Arsenal. I, I think at this point it's just a toxic relationship of who ends it first. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't see him. I don't see him progressing like any up further on the table than they are right now. Elsewhere, Chelsea were one of the busier clubs, as we said, with Giroud and Emerson Palmieri coming in and Michi Bashwai going. Anuj Kelkar has a question about all of this. Why would Chelsea take Giroud and then send Bashwai away? Because uh, Bashwai probably was not up to the task. I, I mean, the guy was hasn't performed that much. They bought him for, a, for like a shit ton of money and he didn't really do that much. They're trying to loan him off maybe and uh, look for someone that actually has proven has a proven track record of the Premier League. Like Giroud, I mean, all in all, he seems like a more competent second striker than uh, Batshuayi had been at, at Chelsea at that point. Yeah, mm-hmm. Conte just never seems to fancy Batshuayi. I don't really understand why. I think he's quite a good player and I watched Chelsea against Brighton uh, when they won their 4-0, I think it was, the other week. And um, he, he was really good as part of the, the front three with uh, Hazard and Pedro. Um, nice little interchanges. They scored a really good goal where there was, you know, a nice little passing move. Um, and you just wonder why they. I mean, I, I like Giroud as a, a player as well. I think he's a good signing for them. He'll score a few goals, but you just wonder why Conte's sort of looking towards this kind of target man option. You know, he was obviously going for Peter Crouch and <laughs> God knows who else, Ashley Barnes and mm. Andy Carroll uh, yeah. earlier in the window. So at least they've uh, they've done a little bit better out of the transfer with with getting Olivier Giroud, but. But yeah, I don't really understand the Batshuayi thing. I hope he can uh, go over to Dortmund and do well now. 18 million is a steal for Giroud. Definitely. Absolutely. It's a really steal. good price, especially in this market. Yeah. He's 31 though, so he's not... Still as handsome as ever though. True. Uh, I have a sort of personal vested interest in Batshuayi as I tipped him to be one of the breakout players of the season. Uh-huh. So I think Chelsea have made a big mistake in letting him go. I think he's a phenomenal player. He paid 30 million for him as well, didn't he? Yeah. You had something interesting to say about Batshuayi earlier. Well, yeah. Uh, sports manager in Dortmund, Michael Zork, came out saying that uh, he's basically a quick fix, that they didn't plan on moving on something permanent this winter with you know the prices and all, and that there really isn't that much to pick out when you think about it. Uh, they were actually batting their time for summer, more or less. Uh, but he didn't rule out, however, that Batshuayi might stay in the long term, but he wasn't really that optimistic about it. He was kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, he needs a club, we need a striker. It's, you know, kind of like a match in heaven at this point. But uh, there was ringing, a- ringing vote of confidence, as you said, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> Elsewhere, Laporte, 65 million club record. Happy with that? Yeah, yeah. He, he played against West Brom uh, last night. He had a very, very good game. Um, he eased into the system. Well, he looked like he'd been playing there for years. I know that's a bit of a cliche, but he did. Um, I think City have signed a left-footed John Stones, basically, which some people might say is a bad thing, but I, <laughs> I don't think it is. Um, so, yeah, very happy with that one. He looks like he'll be a good signing based what, on that performance alone. What do you think he's brought so far? Is just is it sort of he's able to take the ball out of the back, or yeah, he's he's calm on the ball like Stones. Um, he's left-footed, as I mentioned, which is which is a, a big one because City haven't had a left-footed cent- central defender since Jolly and Lescott. I don't think. Um, wow. Or Mangala was actually, yeah, but. Uh, Less said about him, the better, I think. Um, he's, he's quite good in the air. He's big, strong, quick, decent. End of Vincent Company? I think so, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah. Uh, Laporte obviously cost 65 million. The I pulled up this stat yesterday on Twitter. Man City's budget for defence, 281 million. Hmm. Latvia's budget for defence 280 million <laughs> Bosnia's budget for defence 250 million Armenia's 225 Paraguay's 145 Ghana's 120 million so they have the 94th biggest budget in the world for defence nice yeah money well spent money well spent if they had a got Riyad Mahrez it would have taken 
uh, Pep Guardiola spending to over half a billion in 18 months. Thank God it didn't, eh? So you're not too <laughs> distraught at missing out at Riyad Mahrez? Uh, yes and no, really. I mean, I think... I mean, the City's problem is if they'd never paid over the odds for players, which is what Leicester wanted them to do, they would never sign anyone. Teams always put a little bit of a City premium on, on things when, when it comes to buying players. Um, so would I have been comfortable with City playing 65 million for him? No. 95 million, definitely not. I wouldn't have paid a penny over 40 for him personally. But I do I think, think City could have done... Yeah, I, I do think City could have done with another forward player this window. Yeah, you're dangerously underweight in yeah, the forward you? uh, section. <laughs> you, you'd be surprised. I mean, Gabriel Silver. Jesus is out injured at the moment. Leroy Zane is out injured. Last night, they had Brahim Diaz on the bench. He was the only attacking option they had on the bench, who's a 19-year-old kid. What score did it end up? 3-0. 3-0. Well, they were playing West Brom. Come on, you know, they, they, they're going to have tough tests in the Champions League this season where they're going to need someone coming off the bench. And the reason I think City were trying to do this deal in January is because... A number of reasons. One is that the World Cup's coming up in the summer, so that's going to make the summer transfer window a little bit trickier. Two, the transfer window closes before the season starts, so they're going to have le- even less time to do it. And three, from what I've heard, there's going to be a new financial fair play uh, sort of um, system coming in soon. And I think City are worried that they might fall foul of that, so they're kind of making hay while the sun shines and trying to make all these sign-ins as soon as they can, so that if, mm. if they do end up with a transfer ban, they've got a squad. Right, to right. cope with it. Will they go back in for him in summer? I think so. Yeah, yeah. The wow. talk is that they will. It must be awkward for him. He's now handed in two transfer requests mm. and still at Leicester. I'll tell I- you who else City might go for in the summer, which has been rumored overnight. Uh, Robert Lewandowski. Ooh. No, apparently so. Well, no. Guardiola's worked with him before, hasn't he? So you think so? Yeah, of course they have, mm. and uh, it worked pretty well. I mean, the, the yeah. big five goals in nine minutes by Lewandowski was under Guardiola. So yeah, right. He kind of fancies him a bit, mm. yeah. What the hell happened with Jack Harrison? Well, I don't know too much about that one, but from what I'm told, he... Uh, he signed for City. He signed for City and he's been loaned out to Middlesbrough. Uh, from what I hear, City do think that he has potential to be, one day maybe be a first-team player, depending on how he does at Middlesbrough. I'd be very surprised if it happened. Okay. Um, but he's played at under-21 level for England. So he's got something about him. He's better than uh, uh, playing in the MLS, I think. Okay, well, that's probably enough transfer talk for now. Rather annoyingly, actual football got in the way (laughs) on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday night as we had a full round of Premier League fixtures. You were all across that, Dan. I was, yeah, yeah. Where would you like to start? Spurs Man United? I think so, yeah. I think we should. That was the biggest game of the night. I I have to say, I was watching this last night and I watched the first half and I thought 2-0 at halftime. I I switched off. I thought there was no way Manchester United would come back into Mm -hmm. it. And I was right. Yeah, they were very disappointing, United, I think. Um, I mean, going a goal behind after 11 seconds is is a bad one, isn't it? And yeah. then the, the second goal, the Phil Jones own goal, was pretty poor as well from his Good finish. It was a great finish, yeah. Mm. Um, I, th- I think Spurs made them look bad, but I think Mourinho's team selection was pretty poor as well. Oh, go um, on. Well, they, they, I mean, the sort of Spurs parallel, did press very well. They did, uh, as did Arsenal when United beat them at the Emirates earlier in the season and mm. Arsenal had 19 shots on goal or something like that. Yeah. And Mourinho seems to have learnt nothing from that game because he picked the same formation last night. A formation in which Paul Pogba doesn't really know whether he's coming or going and he was really poor last night. He, he looked lost. Yeah. There was one point that, uh, during the first half where he drifted over to United's left-hand side, didn't get anything, drifted over to the right, didn't get anything. He just looked... You know, you see sort of a kid in a, in a shopping mall left... Just wondering, yeah. ...can't find his parents. That's, <laughs> that's how it sort of looked. Yeah. And yeah. that leaves Matic very exposed as well. That, yeah, that left Matic picking up three players last night, basically, which is Dali Ali, Ericsson and... and um, Dembele, mm-hmm. which he couldn't do. 
Yeah. He really struggled. First time Pog's, Pogba has been subbed while United were losing a game in his United mm. career last night, which tells you the sort of performance that he put in. And Sanchez wasn't up to much either. Not really, no, no. Um, Jesse Lingard looked okay in, in, in parts. I would say he was probably United's best player, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a point after after Spurs took the lead when United looked like they were going to equalise with every attack. They had they had a few sort of chances where they were bearing down on goal and for whatever reason, Lloris made a, quite a good save at one point and mm-hmm. Lukaku messed one up. Of course, the only reason why we're criticising Manchester United is because we're part of this anti-Manchester United bias. That's right, yeah. Have you heard about this? Well, it wouldn't be the first player person or place blamed of having a Manchester United bias. Well, no, it's, it's, it's a recent phenomenon amongst Manchester United fans that they believe the media, whatever that means, has yeah. come together and has a decidedly anti-Manchester United bias. So, yeah, the, the, the national, well, international anti-United convention, of course. They're talking Shh, about that one. Don't tell them. Madrid fans have one too, in case... Uh... It has been rather pronounced though. I mean, there was on Friday night... To- uh, a, t- a Twitter account called Totally MUFC grabbed a TV screenshot of Josie Mourinho with some young Yeovil fans and said, don't hold your breath waiting for the media to show this side of him while it was being shown on TV. <laughs> it's phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I thought City had the most paranoid fanboy, fan base in the world, but uh, I think United have, uh, have taken that title from them this season. It's re- but it's really got out of hand recently. Yeah, I think it's a lot of it to do with the Sanchez deal and the, oh, kind yeah. of the way they've been criticised for the amount of money that they're paying him and, and the fact that the the, the media, the media, as, as you know, one big organism, as people say, right. think it is, yeah. uh, have been kind of totting up his, uh, you know, his wages and bonuses and agents' fees and adding that all together and mm-hmm. making it sound like it's a lot more than than it perhaps is on the surface. But I've got news for you, boys. That is, uh, that's what comes with spending a lot of money. I mean, as a City fan, I'm, I've had to deal with that over the years. You know, you get if you're going to spend that kind of money on a player, you're going to get criticised. Unfortunately, you've just got to take it. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, my, which reminds me of my favourite thing of this transfer window has been the replies to David Ornstein's tweets. <laughs> I don't know if you have you seen this. Seen a couple, yeah. It's phenomenal. Stuff, There's it? a lot, of, and it's within seconds yeah, too. It's, it's automatic. It's amazing. I don't know if you've had a chance to check these out, but definitely do. <laughs> uh, elsewhere, we had a little bit of chat about City. Easy enough win. Yeah, pretty comfortable. Guardiola's not so angry anymore. No, no, although... He was uh, very angry at the weekend. Well, he was angry again, actually, because uh, they had two very, very bad tackles, West Brom, last night. Uh, One of them was James McLean, um, tried to end Kevin De Bruyne's career, and De Bruyne scored like two seconds later, which was quite amusing. And Matt Phillips... (laughs) Won't they learn that it doesn't work with De Bruyne? And Matt Phillips did a, did an awful tackle on Brahim Diaz. That was um, pretty bad, I did see that one. Only a yellow card, too. Exactly, yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know if it justifies his behaviour at the weekend. What, going on to the... Going on to the pitch and confronting the officials. Well, that's Guardiola for you. I mean, it's not the first time he does something that wacky. Did he do that often in Germany? He did it once or twice, like complain heavily. He never got suspended or anything, but he did complain heavily. And uh, in his days in Barcelona, I definitely remember him just flying off the radar with everything. I think Guardiola is one of the main reasons in Spain the whole VAR discussion even exists. Because the guy... Well, he has a point. Like, Messi was brutally tackled. He still is brutally tackled, but... uh, for him to lose, to just go off rail and go off script that way, it's it's maybe worrying some sometimes that the guy is so into the game, so intense that uh, it's frightening. Even like the stare in his eyes and everything, like the whole Kimmich oh, moment. Amazing. Yeah, the Kimmich moment, for instance. That was like, okay, he's a great mentor and whatnot. And he's really looking after his player, but I don't know, really. Like it's been thirty seconds since the guy stopped kicking a ball. Just let him catch a breather. Let him mm. have a sip of water. Chill out, man. You have a dressing room for that. He's crazy, isn't he, Guardiola? That's yeah. that's because he did it, it with Redmond as well. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did a little thing with Sterling during the West Brom game as well, when he sort of called him over after he'd missed a chance and kissed him. 
mid-match, <laughs> which was a little bit bizarre. What do you mean? Uh, well, yeah, he kissed him. Yeah. Like on the cheek? Like not on the cheek, yeah. Not, it no, wasn't yeah. a passion oh, Full-up blowing out make-out yeah. session. They but yeah. making out, yeah. A peck on the cheek. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I, I thought he was quite justified speaking to the referee at the end of that game because I thought the referee had a dreadful game. And, and it, maybe it's just a bit of confirmation bias. Is this the West bias. Brom one or the, the one Cardiff at the weekend? One, okay. The Cardiff one, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's a bit of confirmation bias, but there does seem to have been some very nasty challenges going on on City players recently. I don't think it's because it's City necessarily, but I do think he has a point that the referees need to do a bit more to protect the players because, you know, there's, there's going to be some serious injuries and it's, it's not, not fair. Well, as I know, really got his, uh, right, his ankle yeah, rubbing. Of course, yeah. Was this Silva okay? Uh, he got a knock on the hip and had to go off, but it didn't look like it was too serious. Hopefully okay. not. We should heap some praise on Swansea and Bournemouth. We should. Yeah, we certainly should. Phenomenal. Old Swansea. Yeah. Out of the relegation zone. Yeah. I mean, I thought, uh, I mean, we've, we've seen a few of those managerial appointments this season where teams have sacked a manager and mm-hmm. ostensibly hired an even worse manager. And I thought Swansea had done that with Carlos Carvajal, but you know he's done really well so far. They've beaten Liverpool, they've beaten Arsenal. Yeah. They're out of the relegation zone, as you say. I don't think they're out of the woods yet by any stretch. But and they've Andre Ayew back. Indeed, yeah. I think he's quite a good player, Andre Ayew, actually. Hmm. Didn't quite work, million, didn't guess, quite work out at West Ham. No, but few players do work out at West Ham, do they? <laughs> Very true. And Bournemouth, uh, as you say, yeah. Um, what, what a win. What a, what a win that was for them at Stamford Bridge. I couldn't believe that. Um I just got a text off one of my friends saying Bournemouth are 3-0 up at Chelsea and I checked the score like 10 minutes earlier and it was 0-0. <laughs> I was like, what What has happened there? Um, I, what I would suggest is that the players aren't playing for their manager anymore. At Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. The whole good old bed situation. Eh? They're making the bed for anything? It just... I mean, if this is a team that won the league last year. Yeah. And now, without any major changes to it, it's suddenly fallen apart, really. It seems nailed on that he's going to leave in the summer, doesn't it, Conte? And, and it's kind of like... I would sense that that... I would guess that that's sensed within the dressing room and mm. that they know. I don't think the Diego Costa situation went down well in the dressing room. I think no. he was very popular at Chelsea and I think it put a few people's noses out of joint, that whole texting him and telling him he wasn't in his plans and that kind of thing. Yeah. And possibly the David Luiz situation hasn't gone down too well either. Yeah. He almost joined Arsenal too. Yeah. That would have been a Bullet dodged. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's do some MLS talk. Now, usually when we talk MLS, Danny Isroff would step into the fold, but he is unavailable today. So, Daniel, you've agreed to take up the mantle. Yeah. I, for one, have full confidence in you. Thanks, man. Yeah, others others might have doubted, but I think you can do it. (laughs) So, what we want to talk about today is David Beckham and Miami... Yeah. And his Miami franchise. And unfortunately, they haven't given us the name yet. Or the logo or the colours. Or that. the logo or the colours. Was it me and you who were talking, saying we'd love it if it was called Miami Vice? Well, well, there was a point where we were in the office of the night and yeah. we thought that that's what it was. We were watching the stream of the announcement and it seemed they'd call it Miami Vice and we were like, oh my God, that's amazing. That's but perfect, it would have been. Well, the, the sort of brand and everything is in place already. So, mm. you know, it makes sense. Anyway, let's start off with the, a timeline of the deal. Well, long story short, it all starts with uh, with the Beckham deal to LA Galaxy. What twelve year twelve odd years ago? Uh, Two thousand yeah, eleven years ago. I think it was yeah, two thousand seven. That's right. He moved wow. in this winter. This winter transfer window, eleven years ago, he moved to LA LA Galaxy for four years. There was this contract, two fifty million dollars for the contract, and there was a clause where he had a buy in option at a franchise of expansion franchises once he'd retire from the game. Um, Miami had had a little history with football before that. The MLS had had a franchise, one of the top, one of the ten starting franchises uh, was in Tampa, Tampa Bay Mutiny. 
that didn't work out that well, in spite of the fact that they had good old Carlos Valderrama on the on their lines. That was they sort of like did. the franchise player. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Was the like name as well. Yeah. Mutiny. Yeah, mutiny. It's just <laughs> yeah. brilliant. And keep in mind that the football team, the, the NFL team, is uh, the the Buccaneers. So yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. They're really into pirates over there. You'd think. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, that happened. They lasted for four or five years before they folded due to financial troubles, as was expected. They misread the market. It's basically common knowledge in the United States to know that uh, Florida Hispanic community is very different from the rest of the country in that it is ninety percent Caribbean, meaning that baseball is a predominant sport. Um, in Florida. Yeah. Uh, Venezuelans and Cubans are the bigger half of, of the Hispanic community nowadays, mm-hmm. and uh, we play baseball more than we do football. So it's the sort of thing that they misread thinking, oh, well, okay, they speak Spanish, so let's just give them a football team. They'll make it, work. <laughs> um, it didn't work, so Beckham came over uh, and started you know, fiddling a bit with the idea of retirement from football at that point. That same year, 2011, 2012 is that period. The MLS announces that they have plans of reinvesting in Florida, reclaiming that land, let's put it that way. Um, and it lasted a bit of a while. It's been six years since that announcement. Beckham has gone back and forth uh, searching for a place for a stadium, getting the league to approve his plans, which did go not as easily as he had hoped for, especially with uh, the county. He finally ended up buying land in, in the county of Miami-Dade, which is sort of like the downtown Miami area or nearby the downtown Miami area. Um, and uh, it eventually has been stalled ever since because the lot he bought was not large enough for the stadium. So they needed public land in order to finish the project, which means they need city approval, which, as you would know, bureaucracy tends to take a while. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, well, it's been that ever since uh, until we got this last, uh, you know, moment in, mm-hmm. in Florida hist- uh, history of football, which was David Bacon announcement that, yeah, he's officially going to have a club in the MLS some down, down the future, some town Sorry, sometime down the line. Um, still not known at what point yet because they're not going to come into the next cycle of expansions, uh, which is going to be announced in March. It's uh, so far Memphis and the other candidates were either Detroit, Cincinnati, and if I'm not mistaken, Seattle was still in the race. Well, so, having watched 8 Mile the other night, I'm rooting for Detroit. <laughs> well, yeah, the Detroit fan base is really interesting one. Uh, it has that whole uh, like blue collar feel to it, and the and this really big sense of ownership over the club they have right now. There, it's Detroit City FC, I think, the name of the club. Um, but they play in a different league division, uh, division whatnot. They're not professional. They wanted to make it professional, but uh, the big, one, surprisingly, one of the big favorite ones would have to be the Cincinnati one. Uh, they have a huge following. They're averaging fifteen thousand people per game, which is below the the MLS average, admittedly, but it's still pretty decent for a second-tier squad. Uh, and uh, they're one of the main contenders, along with Memphis, has already been named uh, mm-hmm. in this huge experiment. But yeah, the David Beckham one is, as we said, nameless, logo-less, colorless. Uh, it's just MLS. It's the Miami MLS team. It's sort of like what they're hmm. referring to it at this point. But uh, so far, that's all he has on board. A good old project. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one of the interesting things is that he got it at a phenomenally low price, too. Yeah, well, it was part of this deal, I guess. Sort of like the, the settlement was, yeah, I get to buy in, but I get to buy in as a partner, meaning that my investment is not for the required, I think, $150 million that you have to have in order to purchase the franchise, but a fraction of that if he brought on other associates on board, which he has. Yeah. The David Beckham group, as they call him. That's the actual name? Well, it's the banter. It says there's a Beckham limited company, whatnot, but uh, yeah. it's like the David Beckham group known to... Uh, the regular folk like you and me. Very good. Uh, you sort of touched on it a little bit, but there's a history of failure in Florida football. Yeah, in sports in general, uh, Florida has always been this sort of skeptical ground on it. I mean, when Orlando Magic came out uh, with Shaquille O'Neal, imagine all, of all those players, that guy. Uh, it was a franchise that was not meant to be successful, yet the guys won a couple tournaments, and it took a couple tournaments for them to take off. Same thing happened with Miami Heat and NBA. 
Uh, mm. Till the Marlins then win the MLB, no one believed Florida was, was capable of handling a baseball franchise. And now with hockey, it's kind of happening the same thing. The Lightning are taking over, the Panthers are playing well. and uh, Sorry, what? Hockey. Ho- Florida have a hockey team? Two teams, actually. Tampa and Florida. The Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. They play indoors. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. But yeah, uh, so what MLS is doing, which is really interesting, is kind of following uh, sort of like this sporting tradition, whereas you first, when you expand into the South, you start in Florida and you work your way up. MLS already has the Atlanta one, which worked marvels. I mean, they weren't expecting 55,000 people on average mm. per game. Uh, Florida is now following suit along with Memphis. Uh, and they're sort of like building this little cluster down south because they realize there is not only a huge land community that is responding well, it's a brilliant market overall. And uh, it's a pretty interesting bet to see what the the map of the MLS will look like in a couple down years on the road. Hmm. Did Beckham have much to say on Monday night? Well, not really that much. I mean, oh. if you're not announcing the team's name or the logo or the you know the colors even, what's left to announce? Which is what basically he said. Like, well, yeah, we're going to have a team here in Florida. We want you all to invest. And, uh, oh, yeah, the colors and the logos are going to be handpicked by fan submissions, which is oh, no. curious how that one works. Orlando kind of made it work last se- like a couple seasons uh, ago. They picked purple for some reason, uh, and uh, it's worked great. Apparently, they have a really tight-knit community of fans, and uh, they're really intertwined with the whole cultural scene and whatnot. So it's it's been an interesting exper- experiment over there. Asking fans to design a jersey. <laughs> Hell's better than asking so, leads for that. Eh? Well, didn't Manchester United do that last season? Uh, yeah, and they, they wear it the the grey uh, third kit with the, the the sort of shadow of the um, see that's the why you, that's why you don't ask fans. Yeah, exactly. What's the general feeling? Do you think it'll be a success? Fall flat on its face. Look, uh, I don't. I'm not. I'm usually not negative about the MLS. I don't think this is a point to become one either. There's I a think, big butt coming along here. No, no, no. My well, there is a there is one in the sense that I think the league is expanding way too quick and it's kind of spiraling out of their own control. But uh, I don't think that Miami is a bad market at this point. I think it's an interesting bet. Uh, I think it could work out if they get the numbers to to work, which is usually the problem with MLS teams. Um, but I think the league is, is, has gotten decent enough to admit at least having over 20 teams and making it function capacity-wise, at least. I don't know if they're going to become the, the huge league everyone expects them to be down the road, but uh, it's an interesting bet, definitely. Dan, would you be a fan of David Beckham? Actually, as, uh, as, as ex-United players go, I think he's definitely one of the better ones. I think he's a pretty stand-up guy, isn't he, David Beckham? Yeah. Philanthropic and good family man and that kind of thing. Terrible what, actor. I wonder what Rebecca Luce would say about that. I wonder what Rebecca Luce is up to nowadays. Most of our <laughs> listeners probably don't even know who she is. Do Last they? I heard, she was... Um, what's the politically correct way to say this? Inseminating pigs. Is that what she... I thought she was masturbating a pig. Yeah, that's what that means, yeah. Oh, okay. Very good. <laughs> that's what the last thing Rebecca Lewis was doing. <laughs> Which reminds me of a phenomenal headline I saw last night. And let me just get this here so I can I can tell you correctly what it was. Pensioner 80 pushed entire arm into cow's rectum and masturbated. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. That's a headline. That's a great transfer window close, isn't it? <laughs> I think we'll leave it on that. I think, yeah. We'll leave it on that? Okay. My thanks to Dan Daniel and producer Damo. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.